We are so excited. I'm excited to get to tag team with my lovely bride, Julie, this week as we continue the series, Marriage Material. Will y'all welcome my bride, please, into the house? Thank you. My favorite preacher I love preacher talking in the about world. marriage with you. I do, too. I do, too. You know, it was really funny. When I told Julie we were going to do this series here in February, she said, I don't want to help. And I was like, that is so great. But she did not say... Man, I just want to share the, the blessing of marriage that we have. I want other people to experience that. She didn't say, marriage is so awesome. I want to share that. What she said was, oh, marriage, I want to talk on conflict. <laughs> but I've like, I, just honey. been doing so much research <laughs> for Fearless Mom on this topic. And I'm like, oh, my word, this is so applicable to marriage. So, yeah, yeah I, I did well, kind of chime in there. No, 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 it absolutely is. And what's been really cool is, you know, with 28 years of marriage, I, w- I should say wedded bliss. Wedded bliss, But that's with 28 right. years, which I was thinking about this, that means this year we hit 29, which means we're almost at 30 years married. Yeah. That is crazy talk. I, that's not I, the point of the sermon, I but I just kind of hit we'll celebrate our 30th anniversary, but I'm all about, like, on our 29th, let's go like ahead and year? start celebrating our 30th year. <laughs> I saw where you were going yeah, with that. Yeah, uh-huh. We'll celebrate for a full year. I love that. Well, it, it is pretty amazing. But one of the things that 28 years of wedded bliss, we, we have a long track record of real life under our belt. Now, I didn't say perfect life. I said real life. And what we want to share with you today is, I think, something that is incredibly hopeful about conflict in marriage. Now, as we said at the very beginning last week, this series applies to every single one of us. If you're here today and maybe you're not married or you're divorced or you're a student, don't check out because as a matter of fact, if you're not married, this is a great opportunity for you to put some tools in the toolbox that you can use so that you don't make the same mistakes that a lot of us who are already married have made along the way. How many of us in marriage have made mistakes, particularly when it comes to conflict? Can I just see a show of hands? Thank you so much. Men, your hand should have been up in a hurry on that one. That just would have been like a little added bonus. Like, I know, I know. But what we want to do today is really what we're about every single week that we gather as a church, that we want to always ask the question, how does the gospel, the good news of Jesus, how does Jesus impact this subject? No matter what topic we're talking about, as we've said all roads lead to the cross. What I think is probably more accurate is that the cross leads to all roads, that that the gospel permeates every single part of our lives. And so when you think about it, you know, we established last week that the baseline of not just this series, but of marriage in general, is that the goal of marriage, or as we called it last week, the truly wed game, the objective of marriage is to create and demonstrate real unity, that that husband and wife would be unified in every part of their lives. The Bible says that they they become one flesh, and a lot of people like to focus on that, and it's real, but there's more to that than just the one flesh. It's one mind. It's one heart. It's one life. It is one flesh, one body. All of those things going into this idea of unity But the Bible's really clear that it is a very, very particular brand of unity for a very, very particular purpose. 
And just real quickly, I want to kind of reestablish that baseline as we start to talk about conflict today. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says this, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, this is a great mystery. I love that in the Bible. Isn't that the truth? How many of us who are married know that this is a great mystery, how this ever works? <laughs> but it is. It's the grace of God. But it is an, also an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one, united. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So that's the, that's the unity goal of marriage. That's what God hoped when he ordained marriage in time immemorial, back in the Garden of Eden. What he designed, what he desires is for husband and wife to be united. And yet we all know that no marriage that has ever existed anywhere, anytime on the planet for any length of time longer than 30 minutes has ever existed without conflict. Conflict happens in marriage. It just happens. It's a reality of it. I love what one psychologist said. Psychologist Dan Weil has been studying married couples for 40 years. This is his quote. When choosing a long-term partner, you will inevitably be choosing a particular set of unresolvable problems. Hope everybody had a happy Valentine's Day this week. <laughs> but isn't that the it's truth? It's so true, it though. It is so true. And, and Julie and I have, have discovered this. I love live music. I love live music. It's one of the things that made me love going to school at the University of Texas long before they you know, branded the live music capital of the world. And Julie... Bless her. She will go to concerts with me. It's not her favorite thing. She'd rather be at home in her pajamas eating ice cream, and that's cool. But she'll go with me because she knows I love it when she's there with me. But she has drawn a hard line in the sand. Every year, pretty much every year, our family goes to the Robert Earl King Christmas concert at Austin City Limits. And that's just what we do. I'm a good father. We train children to grow up in the right way. And Julia said, I will go, but I'm not standing in general admission for three hours. I just thought about this last week when we were in here in worship. Like, I love worship. I'm standing, I'm stomping, I'm getting after it. That's the same way I go to a concert. Julie is really happy. <laughs> that is a whole set of unresolvable problems. We're, we're not going to see eye to eye on that. 69%, this is good news, you ought to write this down, 69% of marital disagreements never get resolved. 69%. And sometimes now, people are so disheartened by that, but it's really little things, little things like, um, you know, for instance, it bothers where you, you stand at a concert. where you stand at a concert, or, or it bothers you that like the coat hanger is on the door. Yeah, that really bothers Mac. That's never going to bother me. It's never going to bother me ever. I won't notice it. Um, and so, though in marriage, I recognize that that bothers you, and I really do try. You do a great job. Okay, at thanks. It. Um, because I know I do it sometimes, but I recognize that it'll never bother me, but it does bother him, and therefore I work to never do that. So. More like those unresolvable conflicts. Absolutely. Now, 
there are those conflicts that have to get resolved. You know, like, where are we going to eat dinner? You have to settle that conflict. That was a joke. You should have laughed at that. But, but there are those, those deeper-seated issues. And I thought about this when we were worshiping together just a moment ago. In the song, I'm going to see a victory, the, the, the lyrics to that song, which are biblical, by the way, say, every war he wages, talking about Christ, every war he wages, he will win. Every war he wages, he will win. It also means that Jesus is very particular about picking his battles. Jesus is very particular. He doesn't fight every war that comes along. In marriage, we shouldn't fight every single war that comes along. But here's, here's really where this whole thing comes home to roost and where the gospel makes its biggest difference in marital conflict. If you believe that conflict can be constructive, constructive conflict creates opportunity for unity. Creative, constructive conflict creates opportunity for unity. And a healthy marriage is not a marriage without conflict. Mm. A healthy marriage is one in That's which the news. two have, yeah, right. It is one where you <laughs> realize, like, actually, this conflict has the opportunity to draw us closer together. The sentence that you said, constructive conflict creates opportunity for unity. We did not say that conflict creates unity. <laughs> it's the opportunity for unity. It is how you address it. It is going into this marriage saying, I know that we will disagree about some things, but I'm going to do the work necessary to use this conflict to grow closer together. Most of, most of us come from different families that have different concepts of conflict <laughs> resolution. I came from a family that was like, you know, we're from the deep south. Um, oh, we disagree. I didn't even notice. And you just, you know, go on about your day. He came from a home where... Um, conflict and they had uh, experienced divorce and all of that. So they had been through counseling and they My were- My parents, not me. Yes, right. But they had, uh, they talked about everything and it was all boys. So they would yell at each other, walk in separate rooms, come back out and act like nothing had happened. And you know, brothers so, can fight. Brothers, man, you, you, can, you can go to fisticuffs and five minutes later, there's no sweat. We settled it. All else good. Let's go play together. So what we want to do is go, okay, what's healthy? Ignoring and acting like it's not there is not actually productive, I came to find out. <laughs> and um, nor is, you know, uh, spouting off and yelling and never coming. I couldn't wait well, to see how you were going to finish that. Right. And Well, he learned that real quick. That, that was not effective <laughs> at all. And so what we want to try to do is find here what is healthy, what is constructive, yeah. what can help us build our marriage. How can we use this conflict to grow closer together and for our marriage to get better and stronger? Because it can be done. And so I think once we say, instead of trying to avoid conflict, I want to now use conflict as something. Yeah. It's not like I'm looking for it. I'm not trying to create it, but I'm not afraid of it either. I'm going to address it for what it is, and we're going to make it constructive and work together. And obviously, this is relevant for every relationship. 
Because every relationship is made up of people. Every you know, relationship is made up of sinful humans, and so you're going to have a point of conflict. So what we're gonna talk about today is applicable in every area of your life, but we're talking specifically about marriage. And when you start your marriage with healthy conflict resolution, it's obviously easier. Yeah. But there's no such thing as a marriage that is too far down the road to be impacted with change toward healthy conflict resolution. It's like building a house. When Mac and I were, I guess Emily was just a baby, about one year old, we built a house and it was in a tiny neighborhood of starter homes. And so we got to pick exactly where we wanted our sink to be. And so I thought, this is amazing. So we, we laid it out and we chose where we wanted the kitchen sink to be. And it was chosen before, everyone say before. Before. Before the foundation was poured. And so it was easy to pick and say, I want it right there. A few years ago, I guess it was about 15 years ago, we moved into an existing home. And I walked into the kitchen, I, I liked it, but I said, you know, I really want the sink to be over here so that I can watch the kids outside. And so we talked to the contractor and he said, absolutely, I can move the kitchen sink to where you want it to be, but it's going to take more time, more work, and therefore, cha-ching, more money. And so we had to decide whether or not we wanted that. It's just like marriage and making changes. It is easier, simpler when you implement healthy habits early in your marriage, but it can be done. You can make changes if you have found yourself in an unhealthy place of conflict resolution. It's just gonna take more work, and, you know, more time, and it's probably going to be expensive. <laughs> it's probably going to take a little more money. But that's okay. It is worth it because when you realize this is a marathon, not a sprint, and you're like, well, I'm already 25 years into it. Well, guess what? Let's, how can we get a better 25, you know, next one? I think one of the things to always remember, and, and like I said, this is something we try, to, we try to incorporate into every single message. When you think, because I know some of you may be thinking right now, you don't know my situation. You don't know how far down that road that Julie just described we are. Never forget, when you're, when you're talking about how does the gospel, the good news of Jesus, impact conflict, healthy conflict in marriage. God raised Jesus from the dead. That's, that's not a metaphor. That is a fact and if God could raise Jesus from the dead, he can give life to a lifeless marriage. He can resolve the conflicts that seemingly are embedded in years of bad actions, bad choices, all those kind of things. It is always in Christ possible. In Christ, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Always in Christ. So again, I promise you, we're not making this up. If if you feel like you're so far down the road, you're not too far down the road to be beyond the hope and the scope of the power and love of God. So whether you're five weeks in or five decades in, there's something to learn from what Scripture says about conflict and about how we are to operate in relationship with one another. So today we're going to talk about the constructive conflict high five. Turn to your neighbor and high five. That's right, high five implies we're on the same team here. 
And we're celebrating victory. I'm going into it saying, we are, <laughs> high five. We may need a high five before every conflict, you know. <laughs> and, and so that we can say, remind ourselves, we're on the same team and we will see victory if we attack it from the same angle. And the first point, well, actually, let's start with our scripture because this is gonna be the basis from which we work. Romans 12, 18, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can. Do implies work. I'm going to be working at it. And do all that I can. You know, I, many of us sometimes will read about conflict resolution. I think, wow, I really need Mac to read this article. And so I think this could make him better at conflict resolution. You know, I think it could make him better at our marriage. And, but the truth is, I, I can only control me. And so I'm gonna go into this and say, what can I do? And so as we prepared even, I said to him, yeah, you don't need to get into our therapy session. So I'm gonna go ahead and skip that. <laughs> it's so, but but I, it's also important to remember, do all that you can. Don't try to do more than you can right. or more than you should. This passage of scripture, the truth of God permeates every part of life. This helps you to kind of take, a stock, take stock what are you responsible for? What can you do? What ought you do? And let the rest, let God take care of the rest. And, and so uh, coming from my background of um, ignoring and avoiding conflict, I'm trying to find my center still. We've been married for 28 years. Coming from his background of talking about everything and typically... Um, you know, energetically. energetically, yes, with great passion. Um, you know, we're still working it out. And, and my prayer is that we're always learning how to get better and how to get stronger. But the first one that we're gonna talk about, pause and posture. The constructive conflict high five, pause and posture. Take a pause and check your posture. Mm. Take a pause and check your posture. This is actually before the conflict. I believe that somewhere down the road, we learned handle conflict immediately. There's some truth in that. You don't want it to go on for too long, but I don't know that immediately is always the best time to handle it. Pause, take a breath, and check your posture. I do believe that when we pause, then we move it, I'm gonna get sciency here, from the amygdala, which is our fight or flight response part of our brain, and it's about the size of an almond, and some psychologists will call it, you're reacting with your lizard brain, because it's so tiny. So you're reacting here with your amygdala, when really, when you pause and take a minute, you can literally move your problem solving, your creativity, your clarity to the front where it's supposed to be, your prefrontal cortex. You now are thinking with logic. You are now thinking with a healthier perspective, not just emotion, but with your logic. And we say in Fearless Mom all the time, take a breath, take a break. Watch your tone, watch your face. And the reason we say take a breath is because typically when our blood pressure is up, when our heart rate is up, when we are feeling angry or frustrated, then everything is moving, our cortisol is elevated. And so what we can do physically is we can literally take deep breaths. Everybody with me? We're gonna do our eight count that we do in Fearless Mom. Breathe in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, breathe out, two, three, four. And just like that, you're lowering your heart rate, you're lowering your blood pressure, Matt's about to take a nap, and now you are, it is better to do that before the conflict. Is it healthy to handle conflict 
quickly, yes, but not always immediately. I so wish I had known that because my, as Julie said, my response was always, if you think it, say it, be honest. I'm just being honest. Yes, be honest, clearly. Also be kind. And I didn't always do that. I, I still... I still have to like release some residual guilt from an argument that we had about three months into our marriage where I was just a jerk. I don't even remember it. I, that's why I haven't brought it up. My point is, <laughs> I harbor the guilt. I know God has forgiven me. I know Julie has forgiven me. I still think back on a moment, and I'm just like, you moron. What were you thinking? But I've got I've to remember, this is all Jesus has forgiven me. Julie has forgiven me. I can forgive me. My standards are not higher than God's. But it's that, it's that taking a breath and just kind of going, okay, I don't have to say it right now. If I'm upset and it's legitimate, then I have to say it at some point. But and then I, also I love think pause that, and posture. Uh, pause and posture. I think we have to have a posture of humility. And, and when I take a posture of humility, then I see it from a different perspective. So sometimes I have to come down off the high horse to see things correctly. And so if I'm thinking I'm angry, I'm frustrated. Actually, anger is a secondary emotion. And so the Gottman Institute uh, talks about the anger iceberg. And the anger iceberg, I believe we have an image of it. Here it is right here. So the iceberg is what you see. And that's the anger, and that may be the volatility or the passion that we see. But then what's really happening is underneath. And typically, when we're angry, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Take a deep <laughs> breath and then go, okay, why am I angry? Typically, I do this. I say, oh, I shouldn't be angry. Well, the fact is I'm angry, and I need to figure out why. And the fact is I, when we're in a discussion and he's mad about it or my children, I would say, don't be mad about that. They're already angry. He's already angry. So now it's much more productive to say, I see that you're angry. Why are you angry? I'm not scared of your anger. We're going to get through this conflict together. And then it's typically, I'm going to tell you the top ones are you are afraid, you are embarrassed, you're offended, you're hurt. Those are the top ones, but it can be anything. So taking that pause, checking your posture, coming down off your high horse, saying, why am I angry? Now I can approach what the real issue is. And this all happens before the discussion. Absolutely. Second thing that happens before the discussion, second part of the high five is the principle we over me. I'm going to choose we over me. And what I've noticed is when I get most amped up, when I, when I get the most energetic in a, in a disagreement, it's always about my way. It's always because I want to make sure that I win the argument rather than making sure that we win the moment. There's a big, big difference in that. And when I started to make that shift, and I still have to work on it. These, these are not things that we've got handled and no problem evermore. But we've decided to choose we over me. I want to encourage you. I'm going to give you some phrases to use in conflict. Because one of the things that we said, constructive conflict creates opportunity for unity. If you're in the middle of a moment and, and you're, having, you're having one of those marital moments, make a statement like this. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Now, that can also mean I'm stubborn and I'm digging in my heels on this particular subject. But it really means this matters so much to me, I'm not going anywhere. How about this one? I love you 
and I love us. I don't like where we are right now, but I love you and I love us. Again, it's, a, it's an affirmation. And think about this. If you, if you can remember to, to bring that to your prefrontal cortex in the heat of the moment, man, you make that a habit. And all of a sudden, that, that other spouse hears you saying that, even though you may be angry in the moment, and, and you may be in conflict but not angry, but you're affirming the marriage. You're affirming your commitment to that relationship. How about this? This is something that really matters. And so I want to talk about it. This, this issue, not you're a bad person and I want to make you better so that you bug me less, but to say this is something that really matters or something that Julie does so well, she'll say, you know, before this goes too far, I don't want us to get to a place of frustration, so I want to talk about yada, yada, yada. Before this goes too far, I, I don't want us to get frustrated with each other. All of those statements are things that affirm the marriage, they re-communicate, they reiterate your commitment to the marriage, to what's actually going on. So, so yes, we, we pause and we posture appropriately, but we also choose we over me. And which sets us up great for number three. So pause and posture, we over me, and then it's give and take. Give and take. It's not about, you know, most of us, we arm ourselves. I am so ready. I need to prepare before I tell him everything he's done wrong. Instead of, I need to prepare so that we can talk about it because odds are I've done something wrong too. And so do you see how my posture is different there? So I'm approaching it. I usually approach it. My reflex is guns blazing. And so what I wanted that I'm ready to attack him about the problem and blame him for being the problem instead of figuring out how we can resolve the problem. It's not an accusing tone. It's a tone of, again, that constructive conflict. How can we get through this together? Another um, thing that we've talked about a lot in Fearless Mom is a growth mindset. And a growth mindset looks at conflict as opportunity, for unity, and it also looks at it as temporary. Mm. It's important to say, I'm frustrated right now, but I won't be frustrated forever. We are not on the same page right now, but we won't not be on the same page forever. And so that give and take, when I realize all of these facts, when I say we over me and I realize it's temporary, now I go into this conflict, addressing this conflict as something that we can grow from and we can get through together. I'm and it's give just real and quick take. About that. I think it's really important to note chronic frustration. Chronic frustration is a me problem. Now you, can be, you can get frustrated with something that your spouse does. I would think hypothetically I wouldn't know. But you can be frustrated in the moment. Acute frustration, that happens. Chronic frustration is a me problem. Either I haven't communicated something clearly enough to Julie that bugs me or something that, that I think is not healthy for us, or I've communicated it and she didn't realize the degree of seriousness that I had about it. So she's just kept on doing it more than likely unwittingly, unknowingly. And so I didn't revisit it. And so every time it rears its ugly little mole head, then I get frustrated all over again. And she always does this. And it's always like this. And it's never going to get better. And that, again, is a me problem chronically. So keep those things in mind when you think about frustration and 
And you may be thinking, well, I've said it a hundred different ways. Okay, great. So what are you doing about it? There's a point at which you look at your spouse and go, we shouldn't live this way. We shouldn't be having this problem over and over again. What's up? What, what are we doing here? And, and I think that's a really important thing. Sometimes you have to be that direct and, and that, but again, in your directness, be kind. And when we talk about it, and if you've heard me talk about marriage ever, 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 I've always talked about the bids. I think it is the easiest um, easiest thing to implement in your life. The Gottmans can predict, they actually did study, it was a longitudinal study over a long period of time, and they looked at many different couples, and they predicted marriage disasters with 94% accuracy, simply by watching the bids and the response to the bids. And this is what they mean by bids. A bid is something like this. Hey, Mac, um, look at this video on Instagram. That's just a bid. I'm asking him to be interested in something that I'm interested in. And so masters, marriage masters, respond positively eight out of 10 bids. Marriage disasters, three out of 10. A bid may be something like this. In our house, we have our new puppy, Gus, who we both think is the most wonderful thing ever. Mac probably daily asks me to come look at Gus rolling around in the yard. And he does it daily. And you're welcome. And yes. And so I have a chance, remember? It's an opportunity. And so I look at my bids as an opportunity. He says that and I'll go, let me go look at Gus rolling around (laughs) again in the yard. That's amazing. Um, But what I'm actually saying, it's not about Gus. It's not, it's saying What's important to you is important to me. Another one that Mac does, now that football season is over, not quite as often, but he will rewind plays so that I can watch them. If he sees it, if I wasn't in the room or if I wasn't, that is always, I can, I know that a good football play is going to be a bid. And so I st- I come in and I go, that's amazing. Um, and Again, so, you're welcome. <laughs> so, and my, Basically how to husband 101. My bids. My bids are often about the dogs. I have to confess, it's a lot about the dogs, a lot about the kids. It's something ridiculous. I see something funny on TV. But what I'm realizing now, and then I can tell if we're at a place where I'm not feeling on the same page, I'll go, okay, remember the bid. I have to respond positively eight out of 10. And now, of course, in our house, if someone doesn't respond, we go, marriage disaster. You know, very effective. And so, or I say, I'm on my way, eight out of 10, I'm coming, you know. And, and so we're always trying to be mindful of, you know, I have an opportunity here to grow closer together. So if you look at conflict as a bid, I have to, it's give and take. I wanna issue bids and I wanna respond to bids. And so instead of getting defensive when he brings something up that something I've done has frustrated him, I have an opportunity, growth mindset, I can, I can say, well, that's on you. You need to get over it, you know? Or I can say, you know what? We is very important to me. And this must be so important that you brought it up to me. And so I'm going to listen and I'm going to respond to the bid by receiving influence, accepting influence. Proverbs says a lot about a wise man receives correction. In marriage, maybe correction isn't the best term to use. And so, is he correcting me? Yes, he will correct me on something if I'm- Very lovingly. Very lovingly and gingerly. And so, but I have an opportunity now to dig my heels in and say, well, get over it, or 
to receive his influence. Isn't that such a psychologically safe way to say receive correction? I'm receiving his influence. What I'm saying is, even if I don't see it, or it doesn't bother me, or I've never thought about it before, this is give and take. I'm going to receive that it bothers him, and therefore, I'm going to use this conflict to make our marriage stronger. I, it's amazing how just my pause and posture and how applying the growth mindset, understanding you know, the, the anger iceberg says, okay, Julie, he loves you. He's coming at it to fight for we. And so we can do this together. And then the next one, it just sets it up perfectly. Words and tone. Words and tone. Well, I can't help it. Yes, you can. <laughs> well, I'm a passionate person. Good. Get you some self-control to combine with your passion. Because it is much more effective to get it in check and then to say in love, my words matter, my tone matters. I'm going to tell you that timing and tone are often more important than topic. Mm. It's not what you're saying, but how you say it. So words and tone, it's give and take and be mindful and use self-control. And if you are already in the discussion and the discussion, the volume begins to increase, you can feel your heart rate going up. You can feel your blood pressure go, you know what? Let's take a pause and let's walk around the block one time. Or let's do our breathing. Maybe separately. Yeah, separately. Let me, let me go in the other room and, and have a mindful minute so I don't punch you in the nose. You know, let, let me do what I need to do so that I can problem solve well. You know, I just remember something. I remember this was so funny early on. This makes I, me nervous when he remembers things. No, it's good. It's good. Go ahead. Because like words and tone, you could ask your spouse are you mad at me? It feels like, or this is what Julie said when we first got married. She, I'll never forget. This is great. We got into, we got into a disagreement. Nervous. We got into a disagreement and she goes, are you mad at me? Like, are you seriously okay, I'm mad, I had mad a little me? bit of a fixed mindset. <laughs> but that's, that was a hundred years ago. That's my point. And so now she will say to me, I was getting there. Now she'll say to me, hey, it doesn't feel like we're on the same page, which is very different from, are you mad at me? It was literally like, are you so stupid that this bothers you? And she asked me this week as we were talking about this, she, wow. said, she said, what is it that you get mad at the most? What, what is like the, the main thing that makes we you angry? We were talking about the anger iceberg. And I said, what, what is it? What's underneath your And I your said, anger? when I get interrupted. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. <clears throat> I said... <laughs> I Just said, keep going. I said, <laughs> I, said uh, I said, when I feel disrespected, when I feel disrespected, my initial response is just hacked off. I'm like, oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and, and I realized that, and, and it's weird how that plays out, but, but when you think about words and tone, what you're really doing is checking your heart toward the other person. Because out of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. So whatever comes out of your mouth, that's what's really in our hearts. That's, that's just a fact. Because, oh, I didn't mean it. You took it. The, no, no. If you said it, there's something there. 
which I think is a great setup for the fifth part of the high five in constructive conflict. This is my signal that I'm about to interrupt you. So it's yeah, not I'm really good. interrupting not if I give all. you a signal. It's all good, baby. But I wanted to read the verse again. I wanted to read uh, verse 33. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. That is such a great verse to then ingest before the conflict. Yeah, yeah. I, I think to remember that, um, that we are loving and respecting one another, and that the goal is that the two are united into one. The goal is unity. It's transparency and unity. You can't have unity without transparency. Yeah, yeah. And so, which was a great point for you to make, and you interrupted me so well. The fifth, and this is where you see that it actually worked out. That was well done, love. Uh, the, Thanks, fifth, the fifth finger of the high five is to always remember the end game of constructive conflict is to fix and forgive. That, that's what you're after, is to fix what maybe is fractured fix what maybe is broken, and forgive. Forgive just means let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. Those are the only words he knows to the song. <laughs> I, on the other hand, could do the whole Which thing. Which I just think, <laughs> by the way, if you're a 53-year-old pastor... <laughs> Who's a guy knows every word to Frozen lyrics? That may be a problem. But my point is, <laughs> the end game, the end game is this right here. Fix and forgive. Fix what's broken. Fix what's fractured. And forgive. And I'm going to read a verse that we read last week because you cannot say it too much. And again, this, this is the goal. This is why you do this thing, which hopefully, by the way, if you're single and you're not a little bit scared of marriage at this point, you're not paying attention. But remember, I can do all things in Christ, including fix and forgive a broken relationship. Ephesians 4.32 says, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, even when you're mad, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. The gospel matters everywhere, even in marital conflict. I would tell you, especially in marital conflict, when you understand what's at stake in marriage, that we're here to create and demonstrate unity so that we can communicate the gospel. Remember, Ephesians 5 says the purpose of this, the purpose, the end game is not just this. It's not just companionship. It's not just procreation. It's not just great sex. It is ultimately to point us toward the reality of Christ who is the bridegroom of the New Testament, united with his bride, the church. And so because the stakes are so high, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, 
in the same way that God in Jesus forgives you. All roads lead to the cross. Everything takes us back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says that in Christ, all things are new. The old is gone. That old way of dealing with anger, that old way of reacting, that's, that's dead and gone. That, that died in the tomb with Jesus. In Christ, all things are new. And we are restored. We are, we are reconciled back into right relationship with God. So yeah, Julie and I hope that, that what we talked about this morning helps in marriages, strengthens and empowers and beautifies them. But man, even bigger than that is your relationship with Jesus. Your personal faith in Christ. And so if you're here today and you've never made that your own, maybe you've never accepted the unconditional love of God, the amazing grace personified in Jesus, then we want to give you the opportunity to do that. On a day that we talk about conflict, we want to invite you to be reconciled to God. Would you bow your heads with me for just a brief moment? If you're here today and you want to make that real in your life, then we want to give you the opportunity to do that. Just, just to pray right where you're sitting, a prayer of beginning, a prayer of commitment to Jesus. Just silently talk to God and say something like this. Just in your own words, just say, silently say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And so right now, I confess my sin. The sin that creates a conflict with you and your holiness. I confess it and ask you to forgive me of all of it. And so Jesus, I accept your forgiveness. I receive it. And in this moment, I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead for me with an offer of new life. And I accept once and for all. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. Just for a second, if you would remain with your heads bowed, if that was your prayer, then as a church, we want you to know this is the biggest moment of your life. And so we wanna, we wanna help with what's next because it's just a beginning and so a couple of things I'm going to ask you to do. If you just prayed that prayer of commitment, I want to invite you to open up the program that you got when you came in. Whitney referenced it earlier, the connect card that's in there. If you will, just start filling that out. 
your name and contact info, about a third of the way down is a place to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. And once you've completed that card, you can fold it in half if you'd like, tear it off with the perforation, fold it in half. And when we dismiss in just a couple of moments, I wanna ask you to hand that to one of our ushers so that we can start a conversation, a dialogue with you to help with what's next. That's why we're here. That's what the church gets to do. Second thing I would ask you to do, if you would just quietly raise your hand. If you just prayed to receive Christ, to commit your life, just raise your hand and hold it up in the air for just a moment as a statement of that commitment that you made, a statement in your life, but also a statement in the life of this church because that's the most important thing to us. And our family tradition around here is that you can put your hands down as we put our hands together and just tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.